Who do you say I am? I want to come back to that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? There are people who would say that Jesus was just a figment of someone's imagination. I've actually heard people say, I don't believe in Jesus. It's actually like saying that you don't believe in Queen Victoria. We've never met, oh, mind you, I'm making a big assumption here. Nobody here ever met Queen Victoria, did they? No, no, thought it was a safe assumption. Never met Queen Victoria. So if I said I don't believe in Queen Victoria, what does that make me apart from stupid? Queen Victoria lived, it's recorded. And Jesus is a figure of history and is recorded, not just here, not just in the scriptures, but Jesus was actually recorded some of the things he said, some of the things he did by a Roman historian called Josephus. And the Romans were the enemy. The Romans were the occupying power in Palestine at the time of Jesus. And it was their historians who actually wrote down that this was this troublesome preacher from Galilee. Galilee? Like saying from Liverpool, you know, what good can come out of there? Who was executed by the Romans? That's in the Bible. That confirms what's in the Bible. Whose followers then claimed that he was raised from the dead. That's in the Bible. So the bones, the essentials of what we know about Jesus historically are true. Jesus is not a figment of somebody's imagination. Jesus was a real person in real time in history, just as the Bible says. Somebody says to you, I don't believe in Jesus, put them right. It's not just about what you feel and what you believe. It is a matter of recorded history. There are those who would say that Jesus was, was a Jewish heretic, especially those who hold close to the teaching of the Jewish faith, because Jesus came and traveled in a world where that was the faith of the people. These were the people that God had called the Israelites, and God had told them how to worship. And that had been taken by self-righteous leaders over many centuries, and it had been embroidered till you couldn't recognize it. And when Jesus came along, the things that people believed and what people did had lost the plot. And time and time again, as Jesus taught them, Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and in each case, Jesus would tell them not only what God had said, but what God meant. So Jesus called them back to the radical, revolutionary, loving teaching of God the Father. But he broke the rules and he trashed the traditions as he did it. And so there are people who would say, yes, Jesus, we know him, we've, we've heard of him, he's just a heretic. There are those who would say that Jesus is a prophet. Do you notice I said a prophet? Because for Muslims, of course, Muhammad is the prophet. And for Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is a prophet, but they refuse to believe that he's anything specially related to God. It's not what Christians believe, but it's what some people might say. There are those who would say that Jesus is a good man, 
a good man who actually had some profound teaching that's worth listening to, that's worth following. But to say that Jesus was a teacher is only a fraction of the truth about Jesus. There are those who follow Jesus as a radical revolutionary. If I say Che Guevara, is there a picture that comes into people's minds? Yeah? A picture of a revolutionary communist leader who had a beard and long hair like Jesus probably had. And, you know, there are people who will follow Jesus because Jesus stood up to authority, because Jesus had radical teaching. And Jesus was a revolutionary. But that's only a fraction of the truth about Jesus. Of course, there are always those who will treat Jesus as a figure of ridicule. The whole latest thing was Jerry Springer, the opera, wasn't it? Let's all have a laugh about Jesus. It says in Ecclesiastes, book in the Old Testament of the Bible, that there's nothing new under the sun. And there isn't, because even in his own lifetime, Jesus was insulted and ridiculed. And if we think it's just this day and age that we live in, we're wrong. Because Jesus has always been pilloried. And it's right that we stand up against it. But let's not be surprised by it. Let's not think it's something new. None of these things are the truth about Jesus. So who is Jesus? If you closed your Bibles, you might want to open them again. At Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start looking at this from verse 13. Jesus had been preaching and teaching for some time. He'd traveled all over the place and, and he came to this, this place called Caesarea Philippi. And I imagine, it doesn't say this, but I can imagine them lounging on the grass or in somebody's front room or up on the, the roof. I imagine that this was a very relaxed setting. And Jesus said to the disciples, who do people say I am? Has anybody ever heard somebody else talking about them? You know, overheard somebody talking about you. Is anybody here from north of the border? A Scottish person. Okay. okay. So you know the poet, Rabbi Burns. I'm from north of here. But I'm not Scottish. So I'm not going to attempt to say with a Scottish accent one of the lines that Robbie Burns wrote. But it was something like, oh, would some gift, the gift he give us, to see ourselves as others see us? And, and Margaret will be able to say it in Scottish for you, yeah? Yes. <laughs> Lovely. And the translation of the tongues goes... Wouldn't it be helpful to see ourselves and to know what other people think of us? There are days I don't think so. <laughs> Jesus was asking them the question so that he could actually begin to explore and unpack with them who he was. Who do people 
Say I am, he said in verse 13. And then in verse 14, if you look, it begins by saying, they replied. And I can actually imagine them all talking at once. I've got three, two sisters and a brother. And when we get together, we all talk at once. And my husband gets really annoyed. He said, you can't possibly listen to each other when, when you're all talking at once. But we can and we do. You, you know, it's, it's the way we communicate. And, and I can imagine the disciples all calling out different things. One of them said, some people say, you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. Herod was still around. Can you imagine if people were saying, oh, John the Baptist has come back, how terrified this superstitious King Herod must have been, thinking John was coming back to haunt him. Some people say you're John the Baptist. And then another one of the disciples would say, no, no, some people are saying you're Elijah. And then another disciple say, no, no, I heard someone saying that you were Jeremiah. And then others saying, perhaps two speaking at once, oh, no, they're all saying that you're one of the prophets. See, even here, Jesus, a prophet, one of the prophets. And then Jesus must have silenced them all with his next question. What about you? Who do you say I am? And there isn't a verse 16a that says, you know, everyone went quiet. What there is is a verse 16 that says Simon Peter belted in both feet. You know, I, I, I love Simon Peter. I just love the bones of the man who opens his mouth before he puts his brain in gear. Why do I love him? Little habit I have that I'm trying to grow out of. It was Simon Peter who spoke first, who spoke for all of them, who spoke by the Holy Spirit. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Simon, blessed are you. You couldn't have known this by human means. You could have only known this because God has told you. And it says elsewhere in the scriptures that no one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is already at work in their life. What about you? Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus started talking about building his church, not based on Peter, the rock, but based on the faith that says, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And in verse 18, Jesus says something there that the church in the United Kingdom in this generation forgets. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And you know what that means, don't you? It doesn't mean that as the church gets smaller and smaller and smaller, we'll somehow survive. That's not what it says. What it says is that as the church advances, even to the very gates of hell, the gates of hell will not stand against a church that is equipped and filled with the Holy Spirit and following Jesus and giving glory to God the Father through him. It says in the Baptist Times, the latest statistics, that the decline in the Christian church in this country has really plateaued and slowed. As I go around, I have the great privilege of meeting churches which are growing. Most 
of our Baptist family churches are growing. This time last week, I was in a church on Canvey Island that's had a bit of a troubled history, that called a lay pastor, can't afford a minister, called a lay pastor. She started work six months ago. I walked into a congregation that was probably double to, to the congregation that was there maybe eight months ago when I preached. They had an alpha course that had started on the Wednesday before. 22 people from outside the church have come to the alpha course. And six of them turned up at church last Sunday. But no one had invited them. They turned up jolly well uninvited. Can you imagine the nerve of them? And the reason they hadn't invited them was because they're totally unchurched people and they wanted to build, they were so thrilled they'd come to Alpha and thought we'll build up relationships with them before we start pushing them and, you know, perhaps putting them off. And six of these 22 unchurched people turned up at church on Sunday morning in, uninvited. And I'd prepared this sermon and they told me, you know, this person's never been in church before and that couple's never been. So I just sort of lightly bumped against the sermon, the, the passage once or twice as I preached the gospel. And, and before they left, two of those six people had come to faith in Jesus. And uh, you can imagine I was high as a kite. I mean, that wasn't me. You, you know, no way was that me. That's down to the work that the church is doing. That is down to what God is doing in our midst. And I will build my church, says Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell will not stand against the onslaught of the church that is following me. And isn't that the good bit? But you can't read that out of context. Because what Jesus then said is, I'm going to die. From verse 21, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and then be raised to life. And you can imagine from verse 22 when Peter said, no way, over my dead body. Well, he didn't say that, but you know, that's what I'd say. No way. And Jesus said, no, this is temptation. Get behind me, Satan. You don't know the ways of God. You're thinking in human terms. And then Jesus started talking to them about self-denial, about the path to the cross. Because, you know, when Jesus calls us and says, come and follow me, Jesus calls us to follow him to the cross. So who do you say Jesus is? There are people in our churches who view Jesus as a charismatic teacher, a leader who intrigues us. There are people who are totally committed, for instance, to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. That is some of the truth about Jesus, but it doesn't come close to the whole of the truth about Jesus. If that's where we stand in our walk with the Lord, then we will see this wonderful teaching, we will see this ethical way to peace, to justice, and we'll set out to follow it and we'll fail. It's like, it's like the Monday morning when you start the diet again, she says, from great experience. Well, actually, it's not like the Monday morning when you start the diet again. Or the Monday lunchtime when you're on the diet. Or even the Monday supper time when you're on the diet. It's like the Monday evening when you fancy a piece of toast. 
We set out with such good intentions and we know what we want to do and where we want to go, but we do not have the power to live as God calls us to live if Jesus is just a teacher or a good idea. It's some of the truth. It's not all of the truth about Jesus. There are those, perhaps less so amongst the younger generations, but certainly still those, who have a view of Jesus as a messenger from an authoritarian God who's a big man up in the sky, usually with a big beard, but always with an even bigger stick, watching, waiting to catch you and punish you because you're bad. And there's a grain of truth in there. But if that's how we see Jesus and if that's how we see God, that is a vile and offensive and a repugnant twisting of the truth about God who loved us so much that he took flesh and came to suffer the cross, to suffer the ridicule, to leave the glory of heaven, to live here amongst us, to be persecuted. It's not the truth about Jesus. There are people who celebrate and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the winner, the triumphant one. It's good to celebrate. Sometimes it's a bit nerve-wracking to be associated with the winning side, though. The cup final, I know it's the new football season and it's all up for grabs and everything, but last year's cup final, West Ham and Liverpool, yeah? On the day after said cup final, and for the benefit of those who don't know or aren't interested, it was a draw and they went to penalties and Liverpool won on penalties. Little Stevie Gerrard, he comes from the same council estate that I come from. I've never met him, but I'm dead proud of him. Anyway, <laughs> I was preaching in Dagenham, in one of our Dagenham churches, and as David and I drove along the road, it was on a wide road, and we drove down this road towards the church, and it felt as if every single house to the left and to the right had West Ham flags hanging out of it. And I thought, oh, well, never mind. People in church aren't likely to be that interested in football. It doesn't matter. And, and when I walked in to, to begin the service, there were a couple of people who had West Ham shirts on. If you don't know West Ham, it's the same as Aston Villa, only different words. <laughs> and I thought, how do I do this? How do I lead these people to worship God? They'll be in grief, and as soon as I open my mouth, they'll get the connection. <laughs> so I stood up, I said, Scouser, live with this. It's about Jesus, and went very, very quickly into the first hymn. <laughs> Jesus is the winner. Jesus is the victor. Jesus was raised from death, and the last words of that passage that Lou read for us says that he will come again. He will come again in glory. Not only has he already won, but there will be a day when the victor will come and lead his people to glory. Every eye will see, those that acknowledged him and those that didn't. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Those who've lived as if he's Lord and those who haven't lived as if he's Lord. Jesus is the winner, but it's not the whole truth about Jesus. 
Because if that is all we know and all we care for about Jesus, where does that leave us when our mother gets cancer, when our grandfather dies, when a child of ours is mown down by a car? Where does it leave us when we see poverty, when we see tsunamis? Christ is victorious, but that is not the whole truth. There is more than that. It's some of the truth. And a faith, a realistic faith in Jesus who suffered and died and calls us to sacrifice, to follow him to the cross. That's the Jesus. That's the foundation on which we can build lives that make a difference. That's the sort of Jesus we long to know. We plead with God to reveal us. And that's the Jesus who says to you, who do you say I am? And I can't answer that for you. But I can ask you to put yourself in that passage. Put yourself this morning, you're sitting in a pew. Sunday morning, it's sunny, it's not going to rain. Please God, it's not going to rain. And you're sitting around with Jesus and you're in the company of other disciples and Jesus says to you, who do you say I am? And what will you answer? Because I can't answer for you. And only you can answer to the living, risen Lord Jesus who calls you today to follow him. To follow him on an amazing adventure that will mean hard times and good times, laughter and tears, joy and rewards and sacrifice. A Jesus who leads us into real life, a life that's different, a life that's better, a life that makes a difference and makes the world better for other people.